you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us, for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us, for we aim at what is honourable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. 
but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you, for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, absolutely. Hey, can we just get a, a bit of appreciation, a round of applause for our volunteers who have been working all morning, particularly we've got Josh at the sound desk, Derek on the, uh, on the slides, and our band, absolutely. I, every time I, I come in with the kids early and just see people already here setting up, it's such an encouragement uh, to see the people volunteering to make church happen for us all. Uh, my name is Andy. I'm married to uh, Steph Judd. Um, and uh, it's my great pleasure to open God's Word this morning uh, from this amazing passage in 2 Corinthians, one of my favourite passages actually in the Bible. Uh, we've been watching a bit of a conflict play out the last few weeks, so here's where we're at. Paul has been unpacking a rather difficult conflict with the church in Corinth, and he's kind of dealt with some really hard personal stuff as we saw last week, and now having resolved that, he decides to move on to a topic, just a bit of a lighter topic to kind of clear the air. And so, of course, he decides to talk about money. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, excellent. We've got some finance fans in the room. We're talking about money today, uh, and we're talking what Paul has to say to the church in Corinth, but also we're going to overhear that and hear what God is saying to us today. You, we up for this? Two or three. We're up for this. We're going to look at God's word. Yeah, we're up for this? Okay, I'm here. I'm, we're all here. I'm up for it if you are. Let's have a look at what Paul has to say. Now, the backstory with the Corinthians. Here's what we've got to know. The Corinthians had promised to take part in a collection for God's people who had been suffering from a great famine on the other side of the world. I've got a map for you. Thanks, Derek, um, which will kind of explain some of the geography going on here. So you see up in the corner, we've got Corinth up there. In Jerusalem, which is sort of there... Uh, in the middle, uh, near the, the edge of the Mediterranean, on the far east, uh, they were having a famine. Okay, so very serious famine in Jerusalem, 
Whereas the Christians in Corinth and a bit north of that in um, uh, Macedonia, they, they have a lot of money. Well, they're, they're doing pretty well comparatively. And so Paul dreams up this scheme where the Christians, it's complicated, the Christians who have lots of money in Corinth and in Macedonia will send some money with Paul and with his associates to the Christians who are starving in Jerusalem. Now, to us, that just seems kind of obvious. But in doing so, Paul has basically invented the whole idea of international aid. Okay, I don't know if we understand that, but Paul, in this chapter, is unveiling the master plan, which people hadn't dreamt up before, of people in one part of the world where they have a lot of money sharing in an organized way with people on the other side of the world. And so he's going to take the money, let's call it the Jerusalem Appeal. Paul's going to take the money, organize it um, to bring that wealth and share it with those in Jerusalem. Now, we're kind of used to that. You've probably been asked to sponsor a kid who's uh, been through the earthquake in Turkey. You've probably uh, been all sorts of opportunities this week in the inbox to donate to different causes. But those kind of international aid organizations just didn't exist. So Paul had to dream them up. And this idea that those who are wealthy in the world should share with those who are not doing so well in the world, again, it seems kind of obvious to us because we've been so impacted by Christianity and Judaism in our culture. But it's not obvious at all. In fact, uh, John Dixon, in his great book, Bullies and Saints, where he traces the good and also the bad in the church's history in the world, he points out that in the Greco-Roman world, poverty was often seen as punishment for previous misdeeds, maybe in this life or maybe in a previous life. So if you meet someone who's poor, you don't necessarily feel any obligation to help them because, well, what do they do to deserve it? Maybe they were a terrible person in a previous life. I'm not going to help them. Whereas the Christian and the Jewish worldview is radically different. As we see in this chapter, Christianity has this life-altering, this world-transforming notion, a new idea in this passage today, a key word, which came up 10 times. Did you notice as we read it through? Do you notice this word that came up 10 times? Let's go through. Let's have a look. I won't read the whole thing. But chapter 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Okay. Verse 6, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so that so he should complete among you his act of grace. Verse 7, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also 10 times. What's the word? Grace, this key word of the Christian life, grace, comes up 10 times in this passage. In Greek, it's the word charis, and it's where the word charity comes from via the Latin. And this is super important because it is such a deeply Christian idea. Now, Christians have, let's be frank, not always lived up to the example and the call on us to have grace, to have charity, the center of our lives. But it is a Jesus idea that it's Jesus' command, it's Paul's command to us to work the second commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, I have atheist friends who put me to shame by how well they obey Jesus in that. But it is still Jesus' command. Because everyone we meet 
is in the image of God. And if you mistreat the poor, says the book of Proverbs, you are mocking their creator. So we have an obligation as Christians to excel in this practice of grace, to live lives of grace. Now, Western culture on the whole has stopped listening to Jesus and to Paul on this matter. But you can still hear an echo, can't you, of this command in, in some of our things that we as a culture hold dear. Just think about it. Every time you hear someone talk about the need for equality or social justice or charity, that's an echo of this teaching. Now, unfortunately, uh, charities are starting to lose things from their logos. Have you noticed that? Charities often lose the cross from their logos. That goes first. They stop um, some, I mean, most of the charities, um, I think 23 of the top 25 charities by income in Australia were originally Christian. They've started losing their logos. They've started losing references to Christian. But they're no less founded on these principles of charity. In fact, we've even stopped talking about the idea of charity. I'm trying to, I'm mounting kind of a losing campaign to bring it back. Because we've started talking a bit more about social justice. You know what? I'm for social justice. I just think it's a low bar. It's a minimum. Right? Because social justice says we should try to address some of the unfairnesses. Right? The unfairnesses in society. I think that's a good place to start. But there are a whole lot of people out there who are suffering and in need because of their own stupidity or because of bad luck. And they need our love as well. Because at the heart of the Christian gospel is a message of grace, not justice, not just justice, more than justice, that we would actually show grace to those undeserved gifts to those in need, whether they deserve it or not. Anyway, it's a one-person campaign. It's a losing campaign. But I want to remind ourselves that charity, that grace is central to the gospel and central to how we enact our part in it. And actually, it was, a, um, it was a severe famine in the case of the people in Jerusalem that prompted them to give, prompted Paul to arrange to give to them a severe uh, famine. And he organized churches all around the Mediterranean to pitch in for this Jerusalem appeal. And it's a particularly beautiful gospel moment in the middle of one, uh, 2 Corinthians because of the ethnic divide between them. Right? Because the people in Jerusalem are mostly Jewish, mostly Jewish Christians, Whereas the people in Asia Minor, the people around the Mediterranean, were mostly uh, Gentile, non-Jewish Christians. And what a better way to remind us of the grace of God bringing together all nations on earth than for rich Gentiles to give out of what they had for those poor Jews in Jerusalem. And maybe it could have been the other way around in a different circumstance, but what a wonderful image of God's grace that crosses over divides between humans. It was, a, it was a great vision, and actually the Macedonians got way on board early. Uh, the Macedonian church, uh, chapter uh, 8, verse 1. Paul wants them to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Right, so the Macedonians aren't actually that rich from their extreme poverty, has overflowed a wealth of generosity. They're not even rich, and they get this. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify. In fact, beyond their means, 
This was some reckless giving on their part of their own accord. No one made them do it. In fact, they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul's not knocking on their door, harassing them. They're begging to take part in this vision. And this, not as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I love this picture of just overflowing generosity from people who don't have a lot. They're not rich, but they're rich in the Lord. They're rich in the gospel and they want to share what they have with those who are worse off than them, those who are far away. Can I say, um, uh, as a parent, one of the things I love seeing in my children is generosity. Right? It doesn't come naturally to humans. And so when you see it developing, it's such a beautiful thing. Last year, Josh, our eldest, who's six now, last year when he was five, he, um, he was at daycare and they were learning about different families, different family structures, and he learned about foster kids. And something about that idea, Stephen, it just really grabbed his heart, the idea that there were children who can't live with their own parents and so have to live somewhere else. And he was just moved with compassion. He wanted to do something for them. So one Saturday morning, he decided to raise some money in our street. And so, um, you know, kids throughout the ages have run lemonade stalls. But because our child is a a born and bred Melbourneian, he uh, decided to open a coffee shop. All right, so he, um, he took orders via text message, uh, and then he made the lattes and recruited his mum and Chloe to deliver the orders to, up and down our street. Okay, so I sampled some of his coffees. The prices are reasonable, though his latte art needs some work. So we'll, yeah, we'll work on that for next time. I love, I mean, I'm so proud of him uh, for a few reasons. Um, he raised $10.50 for Anglicare, so not going to change their budget hugely. But I'm so proud of him for that $10.50 and that effort. And not just because of his barista skills, not just because of his initiative, but because of the heart, the generous heart, or you could say the grace that God has put in his heart there. That's the grace that Paul loves to see in the Macedonians too. Paul feels just as proud of the Macedonians and he wants to feel just as proud of the Corinthians when they act on their generosity for those in need. It's not just the practical help. He's not just trying to meet some target of fundraising. He wants to see that heart. He wants to see the heart behind it. And in fairness, originally the Corinthians, they were on board. All right, the Corinthians were, were signed up to the Jerusalem appeal. But then because of the conflict that's been going on between Paul and them, Paul is worried that maybe they've got a little bit, ah, a little bit less enthusiastic about sending this money. He's worried that they might not come through with their pledge of support. So he reminds them of their pledge. In chapter 9, but I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you, right? the fact that we're proud about you and your, your commitment, might not prove to be empty in this matter, so that you're ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, well, that would be pretty humiliating, to say nothing of for you for being so confident. Okay, so he's sending his loyal protege, Timothy, and some other brothers to come and collect the money. And he wants to make sure that they're, they're good for it when they arrive and they're not just left there standing awkwardly at the church waiting for this money that hasn't arrived. Okay, so why should the Corinthians give? Here's Paul's idea. He wants to persuade them to make good on that promise. So why? Why should the Corinthians give to the 
famine-ravaged saints in Jerusalem. Here are some reasons that Paul gives. And there's lots of reasons why Paul could have given. People try to get money out of me all the time. I get all sorts of appeals in my inbox, in person. Some of the reasons why people want us to give are manipulative. Some put pressure. But how does Paul choose to get the money, to ask the Corinthians for the money? Well, I've got four kind of observations. Four reasons why the Corinthians should and shouldn't give. The first is why they shouldn't give. And that's they shouldn't give out of guilt. Paul doesn't want to lay on a guilt trip. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. You may have met uh, people in the street whose job it is to shame you into giving money for whoever's employing them to ask for the money. Usually, by the way, these people, uh, not always, but almost always, these people work for marketing companies and have really little connection with the cause they're asking for. They work on an hourly rate, and the tactics that get money, the research says, is shame. Right? They want to pressure you, shame you, get in your way. Right? Paul is not a charity mugger. Right? He doesn't want shame to be the driving force. So they shouldn't give under compulsion. Well, why should they give? Point two, because giving is a gift to the giver. Uh, we read earlier in the chapter that Macedonian Christians actually even begged Paul to be a part of this giving campaign. They begged Paul for what? For the favor, for the grace of being part of the Jerusalem campaign. And actually, Paul thinks it will be bad for the Corinthians if they miss out. Uh, he thinks it's going to be bad for them. Uh, verse 10, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. In other words, giving the money benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. It would be bad for them if they changed their mind now. Verse 11, if they do give, they will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Okay, what's this benefit to the giver? What exactly is it? Well, you may have heard preachers kind of jump around down the front, not here at this church, at other places, uh, jump around down the front uh, trying to convince you that if you give money to God, then God will give back money to you at a pretty good annualized interest rate. Right, that if you give, God will make your business grow. Now, this kind of um, uh, incentive, or it's often matched with a bit of a guilt trip. You know, is that God's money in your pocket, Britt? Right. Right, that, that kind of manipulation is not what's going on here. That kind of false promise, this prosperity gospel that being a Christian is about giving money away so God will give you more. Now, sometimes God does bless people who give with more money so they can give more. Right? Sometimes that happens, but not always. So what's the blessing that, God is talking, that Paul is talking about here? Well, Paul is a pastor. Before he's an international aid and development coordinator, he's a pastor. And so he wants them to care for those in need because that's good for their souls. He wants them to give and to share, to share their abundance with the Jerusalem Christians for the good of the Corinthians. Now, that might mean that God gives them more money in order to be more generous, but more likely being generous will give them spiritual dividends. 
in their own lives, to participate in something bigger than themselves for the gospel, to question why it's so hard for them to give at this point. That's good for their hearts. And to see the good that they're doing in the world and give thanks to God. That's good for the Corinthians to see. And I I think it's good for us to see in our own lives. There are so many messages we hear in our culture. So many unhelpful messages. Our culture, frankly, is obsessed with consumption. We're obsessed with more and more consumption, experiences, stuff, money, wealth. We're constantly told that we deserve. No, we need more. We're trained to fill up our barns in order to provide security against an uncertain future. Basically, our nation has a God, and it's called mammon, money. And it demands our unflinching obedience. What won't we do for the economy? Who won't we sacrifice for the economy? Basically, we'll do anything mammon asks. That's the message we're in in our culture every day. And so for me, there's a really important spiritual discipline here. The ancient Christian's discipline of spiritual internet banking. Right? And it works like this. You're hearing all these messages about how you need more money, you deserve more, and if you don't have any money in your bank account, then you're not secure, your future is not certain. What you do, what I do, is I go and open my laptop, I log on to my bank, and I show Mammon who's boss. Give it away. Don't let it get that hold on your heart. Give it away. It's the easiest way to show money who's boss. The spiritual discipline of internet banking is something I think Paul recommends, not just for the benefit of those you're helping, but for you, for me. Because here's the other lie. The devil will tell you that if you give money away, you don't get to enjoy that money. And that's a lie. Because there is so much enjoyment in seeing good things happen in the world. The point is this, says Paul, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. His point here is that money which is given is not lost. Right, back when um, people were mostly farmers, you sort of keep some of the grain from the harvest and not eat it, but keep it and sow it. Why do you do that? Well, because then that's the next harvest. Right? So the discipline of keeping some aside, you sow in the ground and you reap in other ways. A little bit of self-control, not eating all the grain, means that there is an abundance of harvest later. Paul is using this as an analogy for what happens when we give. You see, when I choose not to drink my money in a coffee and I give that money to a cause, I do get to enjoy that money. I get to see good done in the world. I get to see excellent things happening. I get to see the joy, the difference it makes in in those who are in need. I get to see the gospel preached, young people discipled. That's more enjoyable than a coffee even. And so what Paul wants us to know is that we don't stop enjoying the money by giving it away. We enjoy it more. Whoever sows generously, bountifully, reaps bountifully. The money is not lost. Um, I asked some mature Christians in our gospel community how they decide as a, as a family 
how to give money. And, and uh, she thought about it, this mature Christian, and, and she sent me this message on WhatsApp, which I think is so useful. She says this, we're stewards of God's money and take our stewardship seriously. We believe God calls us to give at least 10% of our pre-tax income to our local church and organizations with Christian workers who do the work of the church. And when we give, we consider three things. Trust. Do, do we trust the organization to use God's money efficiently and to do what they say? Secondly, impact. Will the donation make a difference? Is it something that non-Christians or other Christians may not donate to? And thirdly, alignment with God's heart. Is the impact something which matters to God, such as evangelism or meeting the needs of the poor and vulnerable in Jesus' name? I love her focus on the impact. That money you give is not lost. It does good, good that we enjoy. Can I say, by the way, it is so helpful talking with wiser Uh, more mature Christians in our gospel community, in our church, about money. We don't do it enough. I think people are a bit awkward about talking about money, but it's so helpful. It's so helpful to be trying to disciple our hearts on this issue of money. Here's something a little bit crazy, but totally Christian, that Steph and I did this week. Um, We asked a mature Christian couple in this church to go over our budget with us. Crazy, but very Christian. Right? Because we, we kind of, to be perfectly honest, um, in the last few months, Steph and I have realized as we looked at our, our bank balance that actually a lot of our um, expenses have been going up, interest rates are up, groceries are up, but our giving has not stayed at what we had set out at the start of the year to do. To be perfectly honest, it wasn't where it needed to be, where we'd planned for it to be. And so we had a family budget meeting this week, and we went through where the money had actually gone and tallied it up. And then we sat down with this um, mature Christian couple in the church and asked them, hey, can you give us some advice but also some accountability as we try to tweak some things here? There was nothing like majorly out of whack, but there were some really good suggestions from this couple about what we could do to make more space for more giving in our budget. I'm going to be cutting Steph's hair from now on. I think that's what we decided. Um, That's not Okay, we'll talk about that later. Um, There were some practical things we can do, right, to make space because giving... I mean, the bank will take more money as interest rates rise. The groceries will be more expensive. You don't have to worry about that. But giving, that'll fall off very easily unless we're proactive. The third uh, thing that Paul points out, the uh, third reason why we would be generous is just actually because of fairness. Because of fairness. Paul's um, goal here, verse 13, is not that others should be eased and you burdened. In other words, he doesn't want to make the Corinthians poor while the Jerusalem Christians become rich. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. In other words, you've got money now, they don't. Let's make it fair. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Uh, This is a reference back to Exodus 13 when the Israelites are wandering around in the desert and God provides manna, this kind of supernatural food for them to eat. And the point of that is you weren't allowed to like stockpile it to yourself, right? You had to collect what you needed for the day and no more. And the principle Paul has here is just have enough to live on and then give the rest to those who don't have enough to live on. That's fair, right? Paul wants there to be 
fairness. No one has massive stockpiles. No one's going hungry. There's fairness. That's Paul's vision of everyone having enough. This is the vision that God has for our community as a church. Corinth was a relatively rich city. Jerusalem was in famine. Let's do something about that. We are, according to at least one study last year, the richest country in the world by median wealth. Just think about that for a second. We are the richest country in the world by median wealth, living at probably the most prosperous time in history. King Solomon, in all his wealth, would have been stunned by what we have on the supermarket shelves. Even when we were running low on toilet paper, right? he'd never seen toilet paper. Think about that. Okay, we are living at the most prosperous country in the most prosperous time. I know that not everyone is in the same boat here. That's a median. I know there are some people even in our community here who are in need. I get that. But those of us who are blessed with a job and a relatively good income have to be able to see that as an opportunity to share with those in greater need. And for me, there's a challenging call here to put trust in God because there's, I think I very easily notice in myself and in the world frivolous like spending as possibly uh, something that needs some kind of spiritual discernment. You know, I notice if I'm spending too much on, on, on clothes or food or wasting money. Or, but have you ever considered that you can have frivolous saving as well. That actually my stockpiling the money and being quite stingy, keeping things in my bank account, could actually be just as ungodly. Because for me, it's security. For me, it's a security blanket. Now, for some people, money is about pleasure, but for me, it's about security for the future. And it's actually a challenge not to save up, to trust. I know we should do some saving, I get that. But it's a challenge to trust God with my giving and not see, well, maybe I'll need it tomorrow. There was manna today. There'll be manna in the wilderness tomorrow. So what is enough? Uh, The final reason is because Jesus gave first. Ultimately, the main reason why we give is actually because we're participating in the gospel. This is my favorite part of this book. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. It's a great switcheroo. It's the gospel. Jesus in his wealth becomes poor. He owned everything in heaven, sitting at the right hand of his father over everything in the world, and yet he chose to become poor so that you and I could become rich. Paul translates the gospel into these economic terms to help us understand that grace, that free gifts, are how we participate in this gospel theme. He did that out of love for us. We didn't deserve any of it. And so we are freed, as inheritors with him of the the kingdom of God, we are freed to give to others. So giving becomes part of worship for the Christian using our financial resources to honour Christ and to take part in the furthering 
of his kingdom. I love how Ben and Linda in our GC, another couple, put it like this. The gospel is Christ giving everything he had, even to the point of death. For Linda and I, every time we have the opportunity to be generous with no expectation of return, it allows us to live the gospel. I love that. To live the gospel. And in doing so, draws us to a deeper intimacy with God and greater joy in life. For us, it is one of the greatest privileges to be in a position to give. I love that. Now, as, as some of you know, I'm not on staff here at Sit on a Hill. I'm married to Steph, who is, but I'm not on staff. I'm not getting paid to say this. I'm, um, I love that I get the opportunity as a member of this church to partner in the mission here with you with you all, with us. I love that I get the opportunity to partner in this mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And that's why I give to City on a Hill. That's why I give money to City on a Hill, because this is my church. And by pooling our resources together, we can do some pretty amazing things. Right? By pooling our resources, laying them at the feet of our elders and deciding where it goes as a community, we can do amazing things together for Jesus and making Jesus known. So just as uh, Steph and I had our family budget meeting this week, I thought it might be a good time for us to have a bit of a church family budget meeting. Am I allowed to call that? I'm too late. I've got the microphone. All right, we're I think it's really important, actually, that churches talk about money. Some of you may have come from churches where they talk about money too much. Uh, for some of you who are visitors here, guests, exploring Jesus, this might seem a bit weird, but my personal opinion is churches should talk openly about money. That's the thing. Right? We should have accountability and transparency and we should make decisions together as a community. And that means we're going to need some pie charts. <laughs> Derek, thank you. I'll line this up before. All right. Here's where we've decided as a community to put our money. A lot of these things you can see like um, occupancy, uh, are things that really as an adult member of this church, I feel like I just have a responsibility to pitch into. We, have to, we don't own this cinema. It might surprise you to learn. We have to pay money to use it. Okay, so a lot of the money we spend is just the stuff that we pitch in together on just because we're part of the community. To the extent that we're able to, we pitch in. We also pay our staff. Right? We, we pay our staff team. We keep our ministries uh, running. And I love knowing that my money that I give towards those ministries, the ministry expenses, the staffing expenses, I love that that money makes ministry happen that I can't even see. There's stuff going on right now. All right. I love that I'm helping to build our gospel communities by making sure our leaders are well-resourced. I love that our kids and youth ministry is thriving under the leadership of the people who are invested in by our staff. I love that we're helping people go deep in their faith and train for ministry in the greenhouse. I love that we're running Alpha and we're investing in that, training leaders in that. I love that we're building communities here on Sunday. I just Everything we're doing, even the stuff I don't see, I think is, it brings me joy to see it happen. It's money well spent. But I also love that as a church, we don't want to just be committed to making our church run well on a Sunday and during the week. We actually want to be abundant and generous to other ministries, to other people, other people in need. So I love that part of that giving, you see under um, partnerships, uh, goes to things like the many rooms, goes to uh, serving the poor of our city, goes to planting churches, partnering with other uh, churches who are getting off the ground. Again, money well spent. Um, we also need some line bar graphs. Is that what this is called? Um, 
how much money are we deciding to raise? Well, we set a, a budget together, a goal together in 2023 of $1.6 million that we would raise. We, we don't get government funding. We don't get funding uh, outside. We raise that ourselves as a community, $1.6 million. I'm informed that as of June, we've now raised uh, $1 million, which is 63% of that total. And so you see, like, the bronze bars are what we've aimed to raise and the black bars are what we've actually raised. We sort of had a good bump in October with some um, extra above and beyond giving. But since then, we haven't quite met what we decided as a community to raise. Okay, so the dark bars, the, the, the black bars are what we've actually given. And that there's a little bit of a gap there. Now, just this is how money works. Like, if we don't raise the rest of that, we're going to have to stop doing something. Okay, we're going to have to make decisions as a community about what we do and don't do. It means that our ministry, our mission, our care will be limited. Uh, personally, I don't want to do that. Right, so I think Steph and I this week are going to up our giving a little bit uh, to try to make sure that we can keep doing all the things we want to do. And so we don't have to make uh, difficult decisions with regards to uh, staff, people. Um, I guess there's an invitation maybe to see what we can do about the rest of those bars. Uh, friends, I'm going to take action today. I'm committing that to you. Will you consider whether you can take action today to make sure? Um, you can make a one-off donation. You can even make a deductible gift to the Sit on a Hill Foundation, which covers some of the uh, things that we do. Um, but really, we need to increase our regular giving so that we can budget well, so that we can get into the discipline. I know my heart, if it's not on the automatic thing, somehow I'm just going to forget to, to give, right? So that's why I think our regular giving is such an important part of what we do. So Steph and I are going to aim for 10% uh, of our income to support gospel ministry. Uh, our first priority is the church. The Bible calls us to be generous, to be sacrificial, to partner, to see the joy in it. So I encourage you to have honest conversations like Steph and I have been this week with uh, people that you trust. Everyone's circumstances are different. And I should say, um, some of us may actually be in need in this community. That's normal too. And so I'll invite you actually to have an honest conversation about your needs, if that's where you're at. If you're going through unemployment or a personal crisis, that's what Paul wants for us. Though Through our abundance, we might actually meet your need. How do you give? You can do that just by going to cityonahill.com.au slash give. And I highly recommend, as someone who's not very good with finance stuff, just set it up on a regular thing so you don't have to think about it. And do feel free to um, talk to any of us if you have questions about any of this. Okay, I want to remind us of the gospel as the band gets up. Uh, I want to remind us of the gospel that God, that Jesus, though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor. And so in all this giving and the bar graphs, the, don't lose sight of the generosity of Jesus. That though he was rich, yet he became poor for our sake so that by his poverty we might become rich. What a joy to participate in this. What a joy to live out the gospel in our giving. Let, uh, let's pray that God would help us, give us the heart to take part in that. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the good gifts you've given us, for life, for health, for safety, for power to work, uh, for leisure to rest, and for all that is beautiful in creation and in human life. But above all, we praise you for the gospel. For Jesus, our Saviour, through his death and resurrection, for, for the life-giving spirit in us and for the hope of sharing uh, 
in your glory. And I pray now that you'd fill our hearts with all the joy and all the peace that comes through believing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.